Hi Church, um, it's Chris here again um, for the third time preaching to you this year, which is a real pleasure um, and a real honour actually. I love preaching, I love getting stuck into God's Word um, and I love the church. Um, it's just such a shame that obviously um, it's been all this time and um, our family, my family, have not been able to meet the wider family. But for those that we have met through the Zoom um, home groups and obviously existing friendships. Um, hi, but also to those of you who I've not met, I'm just really looking forward to getting back together. But um, we pray, obviously, that that comes soon, but that it comes safely. But here we are for now. Um, I'm filming this on the Monday of this week, so a few days before, which um, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for for being uh, super organised or organised enough at least. And but look, the main thing is that today um, was the announcement of Oxford English Dictionary's Word of the Year. Now, you may not know this, but but the Oxford English Dictionary brings out a word every year and not a new word, but a word existing that summarises the mood of that year. Now, obviously, we all know, I don't need to say it again, but this year, 2020, has been super unprecedented. Um, so the Oxford English Dictionary took the unprecedented decision to to not just have one word of the year or two words or three, but to have 16 words that summarise the year. Um, now, what I'm going to do is set you a bit of a challenge. I love a bit of interaction. I love a bit of audience engagement. So what I want you to do in a second is just pause the video and then have a little guess. Try and get 10 of the 16 words, okay? Um, but see how many you can guess. We'll pause it now and join back in a minute. Brilliant. So hopefully you had a chance to guess a few. Hopefully there was no peeking and going on Google. Um, I'm not going to name them all because you can find them easily enough. But here's a few to give you a flavour of... of the year that was or still is 2020 so we have words like lockdown covid19 obviously goes without saying key workers furlough support bubble and moonshot i mean lots of us are still trying to work out what moonshot actually meant but there you go the main point is covid19 has taken over 2020 um most of the words represent covid in one way or another and, and represent just how strange and unstable this year has been but actually when you look further down the list there's words that are definitely linked to covid but probably would have happened anyway arguably so there's words like bushfire obviously with an environmental theme but then there's words like black lives matter take a knee virtue signaling so words that have got much more of a social or political theme to them alongside covid19 as well and again that just goes to show that this year has been incredibly unsettling. Now, actually, I, I firmly believe that um, some of the stuff that's going on socially and politically is good. Um, it's good that we have unrest. It's good that there are people challenging the status quo. Um, I'm not, not here to say that it's all bad, but the point remains that actually the more the world is 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 in unrest and the more it's a sign that that there is bad that there is in fact evil going on and and we are reminded that of the as a people of god that 
we don't fight against flesh and blood. We, we fight against the, the powers and the principalities of darkness, which clearly play a part in all of this as well. But look, I'm not here to go into the specific details about any particular political movement. It's just to say that this year has been um, unsettling. I, I don't know anyone who has found this year fun. I don't know anyone who's going to look back in 10 years, 20 years time and say, wow, 2020, wasn't it the best? I do firmly believe that we can learn from 2020. I do believe we'll grow from it. But no one sat here um, pretending that it's been a fantastic ride. And actually, as we've reflected on over the last couple of weeks as well, there's so much in Isaiah, the, the book that we're looking at at the moment, um, that reflects that instability and and um, that upheaval um, that we're suffering from now. It's not exactly the same, but there's definitely parallels. So when you look at um, the chapters that we've been reading in this week, you'll see that there's political unrest. You'll see that there's um, powers fighting against each other, foreign powers um, sort of jostling for position, um, political leaders losing their ability to lead with wisdom. I'm not going to go into that detail because that would just get depressing. And also um, a spiritual decline as well, which is is so reflective of the Western world, particularly um, as we reflected on last week. Um, so much upheaval. And, and particularly if you look at chapters 36 and th to 38, there's a whole narrative about that. And and you have King Hezekiah, who's who's at wit's end because he has the the power of Assyria weighing down on him. And but also the people of God in total disarray this is a picture of um of a nightmare really for for the people of god and and you can look around and easily see that now the church in this city the church in the uk is in decline and and actually most disturbingly i would say the church is in decline particularly amongst young adults um now that might be okay now but in 20 30 40 years time the big question is what is going to happen now, I don't want to leave it on that sour note because I believe and I'm saying this because I really, truly, firmly believe that God is at work in this city um, and actually particularly in South Bristol. Uh, now, you may have gathered already that I am not from Bristol. Um, I come from London and maybe that doesn't make me qualified to speak about South Bristol as much as those who've been around for a, lo a longer, longer period of time. But actually, I've been here long enough to know that God is doing something. He's not waiting to do something. He is already doing something, but there's more to come. And so my word for this morning, or as you're watching, be it morning or evening, and for this particular passage of Isaiah, is actually that God is on the move. And not only that, but revival is a foot and you know what as i say that i feel the spirit of god just sort of oh give me a sense of excitement it's it's um it's a beautiful thing and um so really all i want to do for the next 10 15 minutes is just pick little bits from from this this whole sort of scene that's going on and um and just give us some encouragement really and and challenge as well because one thing i will say is you know, this this call to action that I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to and this call to what God's doing is not something that I've participated in enough over the last few years or since I got that sense of calling. So this is as much 
is as much for me as it is for any of you. But I tell you something before I go on. This is for all of us. This is not just for me and it's not just for Matt and the elders. It's for all of us. And and, and honestly, I, I really truly believe that we're, we'll only see the fullness of this revival movement um, when we all get involved. And, and that's an invitation to everyone. So that's exciting. But anyway, let me let me just crack on. As I said, you know, and again, as has been reflected on the, in the last couple of weeks with Isaiah, there's a lot of a sense of hopelessness and destruction, isn't there? And and um, as was reflected last week, you know, a lot of Isaiah's prophetic uh, word is about destruction. It's about um, the people of God being taken into captivity, about warnings for the future if they don't heed God's word. And clearly they didn't. And that must have really frustrated the prophets. Um, and yeah, they were they were in disarray. But actually, there's so much about hope as well. But we'll get onto that bit um, in a moment. So Isaiah 33, 8 to 9 says the following. In, in this whole sort of monologue, this whole prophetic monologue that Isaiah is is using to, to, to sort of demonstrate God's feelings about the people. He says, covenants are broken, cities are despised, there is no regard for man. The land mourns and languishes, Lebanon is confounded and withers away, Sharon is like a desert, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Now, just... Bear with me a moment to, to look into those particular bits of geography and, and the sort of language and imagery that's used. So first of all, we pick up on Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Well, the Old Testament talks about the cedars of Lebanon. It talks about this mountainous place being full of the glory of, of huge trees and this image of grandness. And so this idea that it's suddenly withering away the, the people of God would have understood that as 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 um, a spiritual sign of withering as well, away as well and it's it would be like saying I don't know imagine the city of Bristol the middle of Bristol being totally desolate the buildings having fallen down and and Clifton suspension bridge having disappeared you know it's that sense of of desolation again Sharon is synonymous with the rose of Sharon it's synonymous with with beauty and 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 here Isaiah talks about Sharon being like a desert. You know, again, it's it's like imagine going to the botanical gardens in in Bristol and just seeing nothing. You know, we're talking about beauty being withered away. And then you've got Bashan and Carmel that are known for their deep and luscious forests. And again, it talks about their leaves being shaken off. So imagine going to a Western Burt Arboretum and just seeing nothing. Now, that's depressing that's sad that's hopeless and and this is the point that we need to make before we move on to the good bits that actually this period of time for Isaiah this period of time for the people of God was a time of real hopelessness um being you know carted off um into exile in a, with Assyria and Babylon and 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 the people being split in half, not just everyone being taken, but some pe people being taken, others being left in literal desolation. It was it's you can't really overstate just how terrifically hard it was for the people. And again, you might be sitting in your comfortable surroundings and 
thinking, do you know what, that's not me, and I'm really pleased for you. And I'm not trying to say that we're living in that sort of scenario, but what I'm saying is this is reflective of, of um, the sort of upheaval that's going on across the UK and in Bristol, um, not just socially or politically, but particularly spiritually. You don't have to go far to see people in broken relationships, um, people who don't believe in themselves, people who have lost faith and hope because they have no understanding that God um, in Jesus loves them. And, and that, as we know, is the greatest sort of desolation. Oh, it's not good, is it? But and, and actually, sorry, just to go on, um, you only have to go a bit further on into chapter 34 and verses 13 and 14. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals and abode for ostriches. Again, it's this idea, this imagery of things being overgrown, things being um, yeah, lost to um, yeah, lost to the wilderness, really. Um, it's a sad it's a sad sign. Now, interesting that they use use um, the image of an ostrich. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've been the unfortunate witness of one ostrich pecking every single feather off another ostrich. Um, I saw it in France. It was a bit of a weird image and I don't really want to conjure it up again, but I'm going there. Imagine seeing an ostrich with no feathers. They may look lovely. They may look all bright and springy, but actually the truth is ostriches are evil creatures. Now, I don't know if Isaiah knew that that was... That's what ostriches did every now and then. But um, he uses other animals, jackals, hyenas, wild goats. Now, you only have to go on YouTube and type goat screaming to see just how evil and plainly horrible goats can be. But I'm, I'm digressing. My, my point is, again, whether it's plant based imagery or animal based imagery in this section, Isaiah uses that imagery to paint this picture of desolation. And I don't want to overstate the point, and I feel like if I carry on, I probably will. But my point is, um, we live in a time uh, and a place where the church is on the decline. Um, not just in, in people, but I also feel sometimes in, in its sense of purpose. You know, we're not just called to fit in, but I feel like sometimes perhaps we've got to that place. But also there's so much upheaval, there's, there's, there's so much unrest politically, socially, um, within the family unit, you name it. But look, here's, here's where it starts to get really good. And this is where the sort of tingles down my spine start to really, really happen. Go back just after that whole picture of Sharon and Bashan and Carmel and Lebanon. God says this through Isaiah, just really simple. Now I will arise. Now I will arise. And then you only have to go back to verses five and six of chapter 33 to read this. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And this is the really good bit for me. And he will be the stability of your times. So if you take away nothing else, remember this. God's is always just god is always righteous god is always exalted on high and remember this in these times 
God is the stability of our times. In these times, God will rise and the people will rise with him. That's not up for debate. That's not something that um, I care to go into detail on because it is what it is. God is the Lord, the great I am, and that will never change um, despite the circumstances. So be encouraged. That is always going to be true. But look, it doesn't end there because there is so much in these um, chapters that point towards that. And, and I feel like I'm the recipient of perhaps the last two sections of Isaiah, the last two preachers that have perhaps been a bit tougher. This is where it starts to get really good in terms of the focus on hope for the future. Both hope in the sense of the time that Isaiah was in, but also looking further ahead to Jesus as well. So we can do that too. We can look ahead to how times can be changed now, but also how the return of Jesus will herald all of this and will make all things new and 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 will bring all things back to Christ. And look, I'm going to say it now, just because I want to get the derision out of the way. I'm, I'm an aspiring vegan. I've been an aspiring vegan for a few years. My close friends will know I'm, I'm also a failing vegan. Um, I've got an addiction to ice cream and chocolate. And let's face it, the vegan versions just aren't as good. But I'm staying true to what I'm, what I'm aiming for. And I'm going to be using plant-based imagery now. Um, and there's loads of it, actually. And, and it speaks of hope and regeneration. And as I use the word at the beginning, revival. So I just want to pick out three bits of imagery. And look, there's going to be no deep theological takeaways here. I'm just here to encourage and start to revive hope. And well, I'm not doing that. Jesus is. But I'm, I'm here to sort of be the mouthpiece, I suppose. So the first skip forward to chapter 35, do me a favour and just pause this and read this out loud. Um, verse one, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. OK, so just pause that and maybe read it to the person that you're you're watching this with. Or if you're on your own, say it out loud. No one's going to judge you because they can't hear you. The crocus, why is that important? Well, here's, here's two things about the crocus um, that I've learned having looked into it. I'm, I'm, I'm not a flower person, but the first thing to say is that crocus is well known for growing out of rough conditions. So it doesn't need beautiful, well-drained, um, soft soil. It can, it can grow out of rocky ground. And that's important because this whole this whole sort of context that we're looking at is some you can summarize this by saying it's rough ground. That would be an understatement. Um, but just as the crocus grows out of rough ground, so does the hope of God. So does the spirit. Um, revival comes actually when it, we're at our worst because we are then we ask God to, to come and break in. So, and I really do believe that in these times we we must go back to God and say, we're not just wanting to get through this period. We are asking for revival. We are asking for more of your life in our lives collectively. And also for those who don't know you, especially for those who don't know you. The second thing about the crocus is that it's one of the first plants to emerge after winter. And I don't know, I don't know Isaiah. I wasn't there at the time, but I'm just going to assume that he was aware of that 
um, and I'm going to say why that's important. The crocus is a beautiful flower. Um, it's obviously subjective. I think it's beautiful, but but I'd say most people would would say it's a beautiful flower. And that's the thing, isn't it? it it's one of the first. If it's one of the first flowers to emerge after winter, it's it's the, that first sign of beauty. And so, what I want to say is that um, in the midst of all this ugliness and pain. What we should be confident in is that God is not going to wait until so far away before he starts the spring beauty. He's going to do it now. Um, he's already doing it. He's always doing it. But there's more to come. And actually, just as the crocus grows at the first sort of sign of spring, so does the beauty of God. And it's just a sign that there's more to come, that there's a whole sort of garden that's going to grow um, I hope you're bearing bearing with me with the, with the plant based imagery. So, rushing on to chapter thirty seven and verse thirty one, it says this: Isaiah says this, and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. So again, it's that sign of you know God making deep roots and and then fruit coming from that and and actually the the point that's being made here is that um the root goes down bef before the fruit comes up and I, and I know you've probably heard sermons a million times that have used that imagery but it's a reminder isn't it that whatever you're doing now start taking root start praying if if you're not already start reading God's words and and start talking to, to to your brothers and sisters in Christ and being encouraged you know the fruit will come you may not sense it now but but it but it is coming and that's just both for us on an individual level but let's not forget fruit comes from a tree it's a collective thing it's not just one plant it's it's a whole system isn't it um that brings about this this fruit so let's work together to do that to bring bring about our best qualities and our gifts and and our skills and, and use them for God's glory. And then finally, in terms of the plant-based imagery anyway, just moving on to chapter 41. Um, and it's a few verses. And again, maybe if you, you only take away one part of scripture to read, just, just read this. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open up rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. And I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain and the pine together. Now, I don't have loads of time left. I feel I'm probably starting to get into waffle territory. But again, do just... Do yourself a favour and spend 10 minutes researching those different trees because there's so much significance there. Just just take um, just take the cedar, for instance. You know, Solomon uses it in the Song of Solomon to, to sort of talk about how his bride was adorned with this with this sort of cloak of cedar and this idea of power and strength. And again, Job likens the, the Lothiathan. Um, to to being like a cedar you know this idea of power so again it's it's just this imagery of of where we once maybe didn't see the power of god moving we will see it where there's desert water will flow the spirit of god will flow and then there will be power amazing things will happen now 
look, this is not to say that God is not doing that already. I so truly believe that God is has been ever present in this in this year, no doubt. But I'm just saying that there, there, I do believe there's more to come. Um, and that takes us getting involved, as I said. I'm just mindful as I finish that um, Isaiah 55, which obviously is not in my patch for this this morning. It has been mentioned a few times over the last few weeks. And I just want to share a really quick sort of reflection on that. Um, now, I don't have loads of time to go into detail, but I sort of became aware of South Bristol through my chap work as a chaplain. And, um, you know, just out of the blue one morning, I was reading Isaiah 55 and took it in and thought, yeah, I love that. That's great. Um, a couple of days later, I was at Woodlands Church. Rob Scott Cook was preaching and he mentioned Isaiah 55. And I thought, oh, I read that two days ago. That's great. It's a good reminder. This is where it starts to get fantastic, really. Um, tickets, I think it's three days later, and I'm with my good friend Ross Jeffrey, and we're at a lunch club, and the songbook opens up. Um, I, I've just opened up a songbook that's there, and it's a song based on Isaiah 55. It's starting to get a bit spooky. But even better still, a few days later, uh, a student at Oasis Academy, John Williams, sends Ross a message um, with Isaiah 55 in it. Literally no provocation whatsoever. And actually, it doesn't... It that That's amazing in itself, but the fact that it's been mentioned again and again recently as well is just a reminder that 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 God is doing something and, and reminding us of this passage. And so go away, please go away and have a read of it. To summarise, it's about regeneration. It's about what was dead coming back to life. It's about something that's overgrown and tangled becoming useful and beautiful. And I believe that's an amazing picture of the kingdom of God. And I believe that revival um, can come. And and I'm I'm wanting to pray for that for South Bristol. And going back to that idea of roots, you know, that's that's prayer, isn't it? That we can talk senseless um, in terms of theology, sing songs and and speak to each other about all manner of things. But if we don't pray, then we're not going to sense what God's doing. Um, and so that's my encouragement and challenge. I've gone on long enough, but I just want to finish by quickly reading a little excerpt from a really good book called When God Breaks In by Michael Green. And it's really about how revival in this country over the centuries has happened, mainly when there have been dry patches in spirituality. Um, and, he, and he talks about this. I haven't got time to give context, but it's just fantastic. It says this, I met Duncan Campbell once and I remember him pulling from his wallet a faded photo of two older ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith. One of them was 84 and blind. The other was 82 and crippled with arthritis. They were heartbroken that no young people at all attended their church. And so they gave themselves the prayer about the matter from 10pm to 3am twice a week for several months. They cried out to God for revival. As they prayed, one of them was given a vision of the church crammed with young people and a verse from Isaiah imprinted itself upon their minds. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Isaiah. Precisely that took place that night when people gathered in their hundreds around the church and the police station. Campbell ministered among them until nearly dawn. The awe of God fell on the island. 
by far the majority who were converted during the revival, had never come near a church for a meeting. They were simply overwhelmed by the presence of God wherever they happened to be on the island and responded wholeheartedly to it. Work stopped, the pubs closed for lack of business, the ferries were discontinued on the Sabbath and crime almost disappeared. This revival affected the whole community on the island, not just the church. Indeed, Campbell maintained that genuine revival should be primarily for the benefit of society, not of the church. I'm finished. (laughs) Take that away with you. Just thank God for what he's doing in our individual lives. But let's remember that God is doing so much more. And I do believe revival can be just around the corner, is just around the corner when we pray. So let's not use this as as, as an end point, but just as a beginning point to pray. God, let your will be done on earth, here in South Bristol, as it is in heaven. And let's see the whole of the community of this place change for the gospel. Thank you for listening.